Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me tonight, we welcome Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Hello, everyone. We're also joined by freelance writer, Ian Boudreau. Hey, everybody. And finally, we have freelance writer, Cameron Kunzelman. Hello. Uh, so tonight we're going to be digging into Northgard by Shiro Games, which is uh, sort of a survival RTS city builder. And uh, Ian and Cameron had actually both put this on my radar uh, via Twitter and some some things they'd written. Uh, but, but Cameron, I wanted to start with you uh, because you wrote a piece for us over at Waypoint last week about sort of the hard choices uh, that Northgard is constantly forcing on you. And uh, I was hoping you could sort of you know, start us off here by laying out what Northgard is and where those decision points are are coming at you from. Yeah, sure. So Northgard is a, golly, Viking game, we'll say. We'll, we'll start from the beginning. And it's like a, a Viking subsistence simulation game. Um, so you, it's tile-based. They're large tiles. And in those tiles, you can build X number of buildings. For some tiles, it's like three. For some, it's four. For some, it's five. And those buildings uh, have units that are assigned to them. And so it's a game about taking tiles, building buildings, and then assigning units to those buildings in a strategic way. Um, And this all takes place on a big island, and the island has other factions on it. So it might have neutral factions like kobolds and giants, or it might have AI factions like other Viking clans. And there are different clans that are all themed around different animals so they have different kind of abilities and skills uh i like the clan of the goat that's that's the good one um factually that's a factually correct are they the ones with the sheepfold oh yeah 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 that's critical we'll get to that in a minute but i also uh follow the way of the goat <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's uh that's a, an achievement of course but um but yeah, so, so that's basically it, and you're constrained by, or the resources that you are managing that generate constraints in the game are food, and like lumber slash wood, I forget what the game actually calls it, logs, something like that, um, and then kroners, which is like copper coins. Um, and so each of them, like, to get new tiles, you have to spend food. To build new buildings, you have to spend wood, and to upgrade things, you basically have to spend kroners. There's also stone and iron, but that's really for upgrading. Um, and all of those things seem like really manageable. It's kind of a, a, a neat um, interaction, an interlocking, very simple resource system, all like the good stuff of, a, of a, a, a more simple strategy game. But the interesting thing that adds to all of this is that there is a time, it's in real time, and you move through the year, and when winter comes, your civilization consumption, or your village consumption, I guess I should say, of food and wood goes way, 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 way up. Um, and so it is a game that is about, ultimately, I think at the very core, uh, is about managing your consumption of those basic resources uh, during the spring and summertime versus the fall and winter, and then... Uh, deciding if you can or will or want to or want to risk expanding at any given time against the other um actors on the island it's good it's very good uh ian i remember that you said a little while ago on twitter you you felt that it was shaping up to be something pretty special uh what what is it about the north guard that, that really sort of resonated with you I think what i was expecting um just from the look of it and kind of being 
peripherally aware of it during the early access period, uh, I was expecting something much more in the vein of a traditional RTS, and it's not that at all. Um, I think, um, uh, as uh, uh, Cameron mentioned, you know, because of you know the way that you're uh, managing these resources through your uh, periods of high production and then your periods of uh, scarcity in the winter, um, it really kind of forces you to uh, into a different kind of um, uh, mindset. Uh, in fact, you know one of the cardinal sins in your traditional RTS is resource float. Uh, you don't want to be um, letting resources basically just accumulate. Um, you just need to be spending and spending right. and spending. And it, uh, in in Northgard, you really are thinking much more in terms of uh, the survival of your of your colony. And so, having uh, food and wood socked away for the winter is crucial. Um, it, it really puts me in more in mind of Banished than of uh, of, of uh, Warcraft or, or Command and Conquer. Um, and the, I guess what really um, appealed to me was that it manages to do this in such a simple way and with you know your your military is constrained to about four units at first, so you're not really doing a lot of the uh, positioning and clicking and micromanagement that you would in a in a more traditional RTS. And I keep using RTS in a sort of negative way. I really like real time strategy games, but this um, took me off guard, and I felt like it was a much more organic kind of holistic uh, approach. And so the uh, so the strategy has to do um, much more with this kind of uh, you know. Being able to save up, and um, I'm, not, I'm not sure. It feels like you're shepherding a uh, a village more than um, you know funding a war machine. I guess. You know, a, a moment ago, as you as you both were talking, um, I sort of flashed back to the very very early days of Three Moves Ahead. Uh, I wasn't even on these shows, but this might strike ring a bell with Troy. But do you remember uh, in the early days of the show, back when Agricola was the official game of Three Moves Ahead? Uh, <laughs> there was sort of it has since been replaced by by Twilight Struggle, I believe. Uh, I think it has, uh, and and uh, quite correctly too. Yeah. But. I remember uh, everyone admired Agricola, uh, the subsistence farming uh, simulator board game in many ways. But every few episodes when it came up, there was sort of a yearning for, but what if there was kind of a rethemed action-packed Agricola, <laughs> a, uh, a a militarized Agricola, uh, as it were? Uh, and I'm kind of wondering, like, are we here? Is is Northgard it? I don't know uh, if it really is, but it, I mean, it is... It is a real-time strategy game. It is very clearly an RTS. Um, but it does have, you know, those worker placement elements because your buildings don't do anything unless you have people assigned to them. Uh, and not a whole lot of people. Um, your training hall, where you get your soldiers, you grab villagers. And by your town center will automatically generate villagers. You don't have to build villagers. As long as you have the population to support them, you will keep churning out little baby Vikings. Uh, and they will just start gathering stuff. And then you have to give them a job. Uh, they can be soldiers. Your training hall can support two soldiers. I mean, scarcity goes not just for resources, but for your army. It is a very scarce thing. Um, and But taking somebody, even off fundamental gathering, and giving them a job like, be a scald, be a miner, that's one less person collecting food for you. <laughs> And sometimes that is a very tough decision. Do I want to have one more woodcutter or do I want one more food gatherer? Um, these are tough choices, especially in the early game when you don't have a huge stockpile. 
Um, but there is that whole worker placement decision. Um, you have to keep your population happy as well. And that's a really interesting resource. Um, not resource, it's an interesting concept. You expand too quickly, have too many people, but don't have enough skulls around or other or breweries or other cheerful uh, buildings to keep people happy, uh, then they will be not productive and they will stop producing new babies for you. Um, so there's that you're running into constantly. There is a lot of... This is a very active game. You're always thinking about what you should be doing uh, with your um, village, but it's not an action game like actions per second. This isn't like a StarCraft type thing. You always got to be clicking and moving things around. It is... The active thinking and processing over, okay, what am I building next? <coughs> How long is it till winter when my food will, production will drop through the floor? Uh, can, I, can I get a hunter out in time to counter that? Where do you, which, which direction do I expand in? Um, you send your scouts out very early, and your scouts automatically explore. Wonderful. I don't have to babysit them or anything unless I want them to open up a treasure chest or something. Um, so you have a good look at which direction you want to move in. Um, and you can't move without the scouts having seen the ground in front of you. Like they right. reveal the tiles around you and, and what's there. And until then, it's it's uh, terra incognita. And, and then you have, then you have you fog of war in. and you can move yep. through You can move through it, but you can't settle it until you've spent food or I think one of the tribes can spend coin uh, to claim it. And so there's all of these things thoughtful decisions have gone into it and it's not a difficult game to learn um even though it is so so different from other rts's but it does require a lot of forward thinking yeah i was um i was surprised i was joking around on twitter that like the first hour or so i spent with this game i was deeply underwhelmed uh like i had uh, sort of a draft in, in, in my in my folder, uh, like ready for, for Ian and Cam, uh, basically being like, I don't know what you guys are on uh, or what what's stra- what strategy games you've been playing lately. Uh, but th- this is this is trivial. This is this is nothing uh, because like in those early days when you're just sort of if you're not doing anything and you've gotten your settlement stood up, it sort of seems like everything will just hum along very smoothly and very effectively. And there's not a whole lot you have to worry about. Like, yes, things get lean in the winter, but that's not such a huge deal. Maybe a wolf will come into your territory and try to attack your villagers, but, like, they'll fend it off if there's a couple of them around. So what what's the issue here? And then I started to realize, like, how easy it is to walk yourself into a death spiral. Uh, in this game, this is this is like it, it's like the delicate balance when the balance is thrown off. It might take a little while for it to come out of equilibrium so badly that the entire thing like sort of keels over, but it will happen, and you'll start frantically trying to like manage your way out of it. And like a perfect example is um, so. There's really, yeah, there's two elements controlling your growth. Uh, One is available housing, and two is happiness. 
uh, if your Vikings are not happy, new people will not come and join your join your village. Uh, they will come even if there's a food deficit uh, being run, as long as there's there's food to eat uh, that's sort of ready to go. But you got to keep the housing available and the happiness up. And they will sort of, the population will continue increasing as long as there's a positive happiness value and sort of beds to beds to sleep the new Vikings. So you think like, okay, cool. Um, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a new house. And that way there will be more room for Vikings. And you build that new house. And the problem is the Vikings start showing up. And they're hungry. And then you're, and you know, they're gathering, but they're not as effective gathering food in the winter as they are during the summer, maybe when they showed up. So, like, suddenly, you know, the first snows come in, and you're like, okay, I've got a small food problem. Um, well, you could expand out and create and like into a territory that has a food producing building, but no, there's a couple animals guarding it. Better build a couple soldiers to go take it. Great. Now I need to spend my food to take that territory, which will unlock the hunting grounds, but it'll be worth it because I'll have like, yeah, I got to spend food to make food. Got it. Love, love the logic move in there. And then you realize like, damn, I'm out of, I'm out of bodies. Like I can't, there's, there's no one to, to actually hunt the deer. Uh, and no new Vikings are showing up cause nobody's happy. I'll build a brewery and take somebody off of gathering duty and put them in a brewery. And then more people will show up. And the next thing you know, you've got a population boom happening because you've engineered it so that, like, you'll get more people to join your clan at the exact moment that you have no food reserve and, like, no actual capacity to feed any of these new people. And then all hell starts breaking loose uh, because, you know, at that point, like, you're kind of already starting to circle the drain. People are starting to get sick. Uh, morale collapses, so production values actually go down. Uh, and the next thing you know, like, you've got a lot of people just sort of dropping dead in your colony. And you just kind of, and you're almost relieved. That's that's the other thing. It's like sometimes I'm just like, you know what, this is this is good. This is right. Uh, maybe Maybe next time I've got all this great infrastructure. Maybe after everyone dies, I'll be able to get it right next time around. It does have that uh, <clears throat> that dwarf fortress catastrophe uh, kind of feel to it, and it, it is. It always kind of goes back when you trace it back to some innocuous feeling decision that you made, uh, you know, two or three seasons ago. Uh, I don't. I thought that was uh, always interesting when that happens. Yeah, like uh, building. I, I particularly like the moment of of choosing, like, all right, I'm going to build a new house, and that's going to solve my problems. But but like. It's even worse than what you just described, Rob, because you'll build a house and then you'll realize, oh, I have maxed out the number of buildings I can build on this tile. And because the house isn't like upgraded to its second level, my people are unhappy. So I'm not going to and I don't have any stone, which is like the upgrade material. I don't have any stone to upgrade that. So I've just eliminated my ability to generate new population for like seasons until I find stone somewhere in the game like there is that level of like huge problem that can happen in the exact same scenario that you just described but just slightly tweaked in another direction uh, i also think that it's interesting that your expansion is uh, increasingly expensive yes 
Mm -hmm. uh, that's important. So, you know, the first time you move out into a new tile, it costs, I think, 20 food. And then the next time it's 40. And uh, it keeps going up until, and, you know, with that absolute cap on the number of buildings that you can have in any one territory, uh, you know, the decision to move out becomes a lot more fraught as uh, the game goes on. The food cap eventually, the food cost eventually caps, right? I don't think I ever saw it, it above it does, 320. Yeah. Uh, but 320 is a ridiculous amount. Like 320 <laughs> yeah. is like, that is a, that took you multiple seasons to save. Right. So you better choose what expansion, like if you choose the wrong tile to expand to and you sort of go out of order, uh, you will realize like it's a terrible feeling, right? Like you 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 expand one place, and your scouts reveal a much tastier like path to mm. expansion that you could have taken. But now you're in. Now you're just locked in, and you're married to this like garbage, like empty wolf den uh, that was like worth some fame for clearing, but like produces nothing. You can just throw some housing onto it, but it's 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 worth jack shit, and you're just stuck with that. And you've got to figure out like, well, where do I build from here? Yeah, we should really talk a bit about fame because fame is the other uh, resource uh, that you can accumulate through the course of the of the the game. Um, through you know, just expanding or clearing uh, dangerous animals or uh, exploring ruins, you get fame. And each clan, there are six clans, right? Each of them yes, has um, has bonuses. If you get a certain amount of fame, if you get 200 fame, you might get uh, special units or special abilities or... Um, or strong, the hiccups. Or the hiccups, which I have right now, which is great. Uh, and... <laughs> have fun with have fun with this, Michael. Um, and and that's really can be an important way to get yourself out of trouble sometimes. If you're like, okay, if I get just enough fame, then I get maybe maybe those be more productive and I can make do with these three crappy tiles right now. But to do that, I have to send my warriors out into into danger. I have to you know, kill some wolves, I have to slay the wyvern, I have to, instead of trading with the Cobalt Village, sack the Cobalt Village, or whatever. Um, I, I really do like having that, those bonuses that are there. They, they're very rarely, very, very rarely game-changing, though the, the Raven Clan, they get uh, harbors, and the harbors let you uh, explore the island faster, and they can hire mercenaries, which is just, you can do raiding along the coast, Um Th that's a really good uh, power, and they get. I think at the lower level, they get yeah, they get th three villagers at, at two hundred fame. They get three villagers and plus three to, to their maximum population. That's great. That's a great bonus if you afford to feed them. Um, that's the other thing we should talk about real quick. Is uh, we forgot about the lore resource. Oh yes. Um, oh yes. So there there is a research tree. So as you're playing, uh, and, and as as we wait for the hiccups to clear uh, for for Troy, um, as, yeah, like as you're playing, you do have the ability to gain these bonuses. So that like uh, an early game bonus is you can make your woodcutters fifteen percent more efficient, uh, which is which is huge. Uh, that you know that's a that's a meaningful amount. There's another one that lets you cut the cost of tile expansion by thirty percent. Uh, so thirty percent less food. Which again, like as you begin looking at that like 
third, fourth tile expansion, uh, 30% is a ton. That's that's a tremendous amount of food you're going to be able to save off of that. The way you get lower, uh, you, you accrue some as a baseline, but like everything else, each new discovery on the lore, tr- on, on the lore track um, costs an increasing amount of lore. So you need to send villagers out to... Um, the rings of stones, for instance, which apparently like sort of function as graduate schools uh, for Vikings. I, I'm not sure how it works. Yeah, you just hang out at the rocks and uh, develop. You uh, just learn the resource, man. It's, yeah, you just yeah, kind of soak it in. Yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, and yeah, so like, which of those are are you going to pick? And that resource is sort of renewable. You can send raiders out, and they can sort of raid for fame or lore. Uh, so again, like which of these upgrades are you grabbing uh, matters quite a bit. The last resource, and I, like this is, I think, where the game gets truly diabolical. Uh, stone and iron are tremendously important resources uh, in this game. Uh, stone lets you upgrade buildings, and so it can, like, an upgraded, like a farm at a baseline can only take, like, I think, two workers. Uh, and it produces only a so-so amount of food. But an upgraded farm can take three workers, uh, and each of those workers is going to bring in, I think, like 20% more uh, than they were before. So, like, suddenly, that farm is a significantly more powerful uh, resource than it was before. But the problem is it costs you your stone. You're not going to get that back. And there's only so much stone on the map. There's, like, there's... Very rare. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, and, like, and it, 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 it's a deplenishing resource as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the stone deposits are very small. So are the iron deposits. Uh, the iron deposits are used to upgrade tools or weapons. Uh, so each individual worker can become worth more. And so you can sort of stack things, right? Like now, imagine those farmers on the upgraded farm, and now there's three of them, also have upgraded tools, which give them like a 15%, I think, bonus to their food production. Now you are sort of raking in uh, the food. It's it's awesome. But the opportunity cost there was your soldiers are never going to have the improved axes that would have given them like that 15% uh, damage bonus. Uh, your miners are never going to get that 30%. Uh, actually, this is something I'm not clear on. Uh, there's there's a bonus that there's either a technology or or a tool bonus that lets your miners uh, get thirty percent more uh, from from mining. That's a per load thing, right? It just makes them thirty percent faster. It doesn't affect at all the capped amount of resource in the deposit, right? I was wondering that too, actually. I'm not clear because I thought there's there is a tech that you can unlock, and 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 the wording isn't quite clear whether they mean. They're extracting with an increased efficiency, meaning you get more out of that deposit, or if it's just speed. I'm not, I'm not super sure myself. I think it's just speed. Yeah. Um, okay. If only because, like, when you if you look at the numbers before and after you have the miner, it's not as if like there's nowhere right. for the game to give you that information if it is in fact giving you more. So I think it's just speed. Okay. Yeah, but anyway, so like having these resources be so rare. And so finite means that, like, there is no version of this game where, like, you've boomed so completely that you've basically maxed out the entire tech tree in the game. That's just not going to happen. Uh, there are not enough resources on the map. So 
where are you going to be more efficient and where are you going to be weak? Uh, and crucially, there's uh, multiple victory conditions as well. So mm -hmm. you you are going to be working toward, like in a very specific way, uh, you have to decide, you know, uh, where, <laughs> where I'm going to be focusing my efforts, uh, whether it's going to be a domination victory, which is, you know, your standard wipe out everybody else whether you're going to win through trade, uh, through fame, through wisdom. And then I think there's these map special uh, conditions too, where you can kind of find a specific tile that lets you forge Odin's sword or uh, find the gates of Helheim. Um, so, uh, but the, the scarcity of resources means you really are going to have to commit to a particular kind of uh, approach, which I think is interesting. Yeah, and your commitment to that approach well, you can fail in the last 10% of whichever one that you choose, and that's what I really enjoy about the game. Um, like, I had a really, like, nightmarish game a couple weeks ago, maybe a week ago. I was streaming the game, and I was going for the domination victory, going for the throat of this, like, uh, AI that I was trying to to take out. And what I had done is that you can only ever attack with your with your units um one one tile forward so you can move into the next tile and you can't ever skip a tile so you have to fully take a mm -hmm. tile you don't have to colonize it right you don't have to to put it into your territory but you do have to clear it of all enemies and so like it's a really uh it's a difficult process sometimes um to, to push forward and so in my greed in my absolute horrifying greed to <laughs> To eliminate the last couple enemy units who had who had just retreated back one square, I did not colonize because I didn't have the food resources. We're you know talking about these systems. Uh, I just didn't have the resources to do it, and I knew that if I could push them back one additional one, then I would be able to raise their town hall and I would have them defeated. And literally, I that that one you know pushing two or three of my units into. Uh, a square or, or a tile that was one beyond my mastered terrain ruined me. Those units died, and then the uh, opposing faction literally just pushed all the way back into my territory and killed me. Um, oh my and, god! Yes, it, it was horrifying. It's on stream. You can you can watch the video. Um, but but yeah, everyone in the chat was like, "Oh no!" And I felt the exact same way. But well, uh, it, out of curiosity, it was great. were the people in the chat trying to stop you? No, they weren't because everyone thought I could do it. And it looked like I could do it. Yeah. I, I mean, something that we haven't talked about yet, and, and Ian, you talked about it a little bit at the beginning, uh, about like the RTSE nature of this. I actually do find, because I've played quite a few games of this, and I've played some multiplayer games too, and I think that microing your units in a classic StarCraft way is actually really, really key to mm -hmm. to doing well in the combat which is fascinating because like you were saying the warband has two units four units at the beginning you know depending on how many structures you've built and uh you really like i i really do find myself like pushing two units into the next tile and when one gets low health pulling it back into my territory yep. and then rotating in and out because there's you know the healer hut and the healer hut gives a passive heal to all the uh uh, hurt units in your territory so you can tactically rotate them in and out to get them healed complicated it is it's just it's i think a bit more manageable than you know trying to you, you don't have to do things like set up control groups and mm -hmm. you know kind of uh, uh stutter step your guys back and forth as much um, yeah, yeah which i i think it just makes it a little and they'll also largely uh if you leave them in a particular territory they'll kind of 
um, they'll react and uh, defend that territory uh, if something comes in, uh, which is nice. Um, but uh, but yeah, there is definitely value to uh, to keeping an eye on things and having everybody focus down one particular enemy unit. Um, and then, like you said, rotating guys back to the rear to get healed. Uh, that's all all good. But yeah, for people who haven't really uh, bought into the whole you know high APM type of uh, of play, this is I think a lot more uh, manageable and approachable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like this is a game where the class there's there's sort of two roles with the sort of your your typical base building RTS, right? And you I think you already alluded to one of them. Uh, Ian, where you don't, you're not, you don't float resources. Like if you're sitting on resources, you need to spend them and convert them into something immediately, or else you're wasting them. Right? You're 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 paying too high an opportunity cost. And if you're not doing something, you're losing. Right? Like everything need, like you always need to have things in motion. You always need to be actively doing things. This is a game where, like, for real, think twice. Maybe wait until after winter. Like, that's the kind of game this is, right? Like, you can, like, if you're not doing anything, yeah, maybe you're losing. Or maybe you're actually wisely biding your time. Uh, and maybe just doing something is going to be the thing that gets you killed, uh, you know, per cam. Yeah. And I, I, have we talked yet about how your units fight worse during the winter? I haven't mentioned that, but it's important. It's very important. So yeah, so they're thirty percent less effective, and I actually don't know. I guess that just means like their attack power, for lack of a better word, is is lessened during it. But yeah, taking a fight during the winter, unless you take the the tech that it, fur coats, I think is the fur tech. Coats, yeah. that. But unless you do that, like a military engagement during the winter outside of your territory is an instant death on your part. Like it's just going to annihilate your dudes. But, I mean, Which I really like. But that's really only an issue against the environment, right? Because you're, the AI soldiers, they have that penalty too, right? Well, it just discourages you. Probably. So it evens out. They're, unless they're, the, 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 they're one of the clans, the, 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 the bear clan, I think they don't have the same problem. Uh, I, but otherwise... I don't think it, def it affects defensive units though, right? Because it's only yeah. when you're outside your territory. Right. Okay. So yeah, well, it, it basically was a hold on aggressive action. What if you're in neutral territory? Mm, I think everyone, yeah, everyone yeah, is yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wash, I think, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, okay. I mean, I wouldn't be launching any... It's not a game that's big on great offensive actions. They're not going to make any great any Inchon landings here or grand encirclements. Um, it is a lot of attrition-type stuff, so... Mm -hmm. um, and plus, you know, you don't want to lose a soldier in the winter anyway, because then... How are you going to re how, how are you going to replace them? You need all those villagers picking up food. Well, so and especially winter. the cost of soldiers escalates. So yeah, if you've been wiped yeah. out, your first soldier back in the line costs like I think twenty kroner. Uh, but then that price increases as well. So like if you lose, like if you win, but you win ugly, um, you can replace those soldiers, but the money you invested in buying them in the first place is gone. And now to build your warband up to its max cap, you have to spend all that money again. Uh, so, like, it, there's a lot of places where this design really, like, put, you know, clamps down on you. And money can be really hard to come by um, unless you can get your marketplace up relatively quickly and find somebody to, to, to trade with. You're very rarely pulling in much more than three or five uh gold at the most i would think unless you mean there is a, the, the tech bonuses the lore 
the lore tree uh, can help uh, there with picking up more more crowns along the way. But I always had the hardest time uh, with with crowns in the early game. Uh, it, took me, it took me quite a while to figure out exactly how to do it right. And if you don't find a village, the kobolds to trade with, um, that market's just going to be making a little bit of gold here and there. And that can really, you're, you're left with exploring. You're, that's where a lot of your gold's going to come from. Your scouts, good looking through shipwrecks or graveyards or what have you. Um, the economy in this game is just so damn fun. It bounces around so much, and those shipwrecks and uh, and like you said, Troy, the uh, the graveyards really can be lifesavers sometimes. Yeah. So I've tried to uh, oftentimes <clears throat> I'll colonize the tile that has them on there, but uh, and then you know uh, it'll be just as I'm I, I'm I'm completely wiped out on on uh, money, and um and then you know that'll bring in a bunch of wood and gold or uh, what have you, but um. Uh, yeah, that I think I only just kind of figured out how valuable the uh, the longboat um, docks are, and to have them kind of going out and raiding uh, pretty early is pretty helpful. Yeah, they can really solve your early game economic pinch and bring in. I I like to have them uh, raiding for lore, uh, which mm-hmm. that's the that entire part of the game is abstracted. Like the longboat goes out and then. It just sort of brings in steady income of either fame or lore, um, but yeah. So presumably, like off screen somewhere, you've got a couple Vikings burning monasteries or something. I don't know. Like there's, yeah. You suddenly your village is lousy with illuminated manuscripts. Um, <laughs> Viking stuff happens, and now yeah, it's yeah. Rich. Exa- well, actually, every time you see the boat leaves the dock, you actually need to load up expeditions viking and play a mission um it's a it's you know i consider that the definitive way to play um so we were talking about trading a moment ago and yeah i trade with the kobolds that's the kind of guy i am cam what about you I, I also trade with the kobolds. I trade with the giants. I trade with the other ai factions who are ostensibly my enemies i trade with everyone um because like what troy is saying um you know getting getting the kroner is like super super difficult and if you want to win any kind of military victory you need a war band of you know six different troops as well as like the hero unit i forget what they're actually called but there's like a big strong person you can get um and you need to you know you need 150 kroner i think for them and five iron something else uh, some additional unit but they're crit- massively massively uh, critical for doing that um and, and yeah, I, I feel really bad when when I kill the the kobolds um, during that same game that I was talking about where I was streaming the other day. There was a kobold village in between me and the AI that I was fighting. And I waited years, like in-game years, hoping that I would not have to fight my way through the kobold territory in order to... Uh, to kill the AI and hopefully hoping that the AI just did it for me. So I could say like, Oh, the AI, that's a, that's, those are the bad. Vikings. <laughs> um, I would never do that. I defended them, but here's actually a really interesting and cool thing. Okay. So the, the cobalts have 
like a village and they'll have like a couple other tiles that they control that they're just around in and if you enter them they'll attack you and things like that and by the way they are very strong i don't know if y'all have fought the kobolds yet but they, um, they they look like nothing they're these tiny little ant creatures and they're tough yeah hmm. they they all come at you they have a much more efficient warband than i do but um but anyway so the the ai had taken there they had colonized the cobalt uh, village square and interesting uh, enough it doesn't the game doesn't raise the village it doesn't destroy it the cobalt village is just in that square and so i took it from them and and kind of stood in it long enough that it removed their ability the the ai opponents uh it removed it from their territory, but I didn't colonize it, and the Cobalts got it back. It became their oh, wow. own neutral territory again, which I think is very cool. Nice. So you like a, basically a Cobalt uh, rebellion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, the strategic alliance of, of Cobalt yes. and, and other Viking <laughs> uh, set. But yeah, I think that those, the relationships between you and the neutral factions are really, really cool. And I try never to kill them. Um, I think they're much more interesting as a, a tradable and just doing their own thing because they're not taking tiles. They're not doing anything. They're just uh, kind of in the way and then they're providing you passive money, you know, by trading them logs or uh, food or whatever. You do also have the uh, issue of wolf dens and um, the draugr that... I do those, uh, yeah, at the uh, gates, the Draugr will, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing yeah. that correctly, but uh, yeah, they'll they'll continue to show up until you take that territory. But I found that oftentimes they work as a nice buffer between uh, myself and the AI players. Like I'll, I'll leave that wolf den instead of uh, going after it right away, just because it's harder for the AI to you know march right through. Um, so that's another interesting decision. Like you said, Rob, sometimes doing something is the right thing to do, but Sometimes doing nothing is actually the correct move. Yeah. Uh, and for me, I, I think my favorite buffer uh, faction are the Valkyries. Um, yes. Because, mm-hmm. like, man, those, uh, they are brutal. Like, t- taking out Valkyries, uh, it's like it should be, right? Like, your little army of extremely moral Vikings uh, goes up against these sort of, um, I guess, like, corrupted uh you know demigods and they just they just go through you uh like like a hot knife it is uh it's pretty brutal um but i like to leave the valkyries uh alone for as long as possible uh provided they're not in the way of necessary expansion because they can make somebody else uh pay that pretty harsh expansion cost but if again if you put that off too long you can end up with some pretty wonky um geography that you have to defend uh because like after a certain point i very rarely felt like my army was big enough that i could just spread everyone out and defend all my territory at once like i liked to have a central group where my soldiers largely were uh, but if you have, for instance, like created this really long swan necked uh, settlement to avoid taking out kobolds in the middle of the map, uh, you've got a long hike from one end of the uh, map to the other. And you can have like devastation can happen uh, in those delays, particularly if a couple things happen at once. So, for instance, like the game has regular events that you get a heads up about. Uh, and you're, so you're warned in advance that like, 
at a certain point in the timeline, and the timeline is always in the lower left and sort of scrolling along, it lets you know how close winter is, etc. Uh, but uh, when the uh, present catches up to this moment, you're going to have an earthquake, or rats are going to infest uh, your food, and anything not in the silo uh, will get will get tainted and destroyed. Um, or maybe Draugr will invade uh, via portals. That stuff you can prepare for, uh, so you'll see like the little Draugr portals start to form, and you can put your soldiers by it. Sometimes there's a lot of Draugr uh, portals forming, um, and you sort of have to really spread out to try and cover all that. And sometimes the Draugr that come out are actually unusually nasty. Uh, I think there's a couple tiers of Draugr uh, that exist. Like there's some basically crap Draugr, and then the, the, there seem to be some much beefier uh, Draugr that sometimes make an appearance. Uh, but while you're dealing with that, something can just happen. Like another faction can start a raid. And while your soldiers are tied up somewhere else, that raid happens. Or, um, you know, there's a random wolf attack or, or something like that will happen. Uh, and again, very rapidly, like what was a perfectly manage- manageable situation uh, can go completely off track. Yeah, I I love that part of it. Um, I like playing. I, I really think that that anyone who is interested in this game really should play several games of multiplayer with with other people, uh, if only because that becomes so much more important. If you want to try to get a tile, say that you know, because there are special tiles that have things. Not only the food stuff we were talking about earlier, but there's one that's a hot spring, for example, uh, that reduces the amount of wood that you use during the winter, which is huge. It's like by 15%, I think yeah. it's a, a pretty big one. Um, but, but so like, n- not only like is the wolf attack happening while the blizzard is going, but when you're playing with other people, you're just making the tactical choice. Like is the dead of winter, this nightmare scenario is happening where I'm losing like 50 food, you know, every, every X amount of time, like a huge, huge, uh, uh, you know, sink on my entire village and I'm going to take my eight troops and I'm going to go take a tile that w- in the spring will help me bounce back from that. Right. Um, or it might not, <laughs> or you might get defeated. Right. And that's the end of the game there. But there's something I think about using those big events as a tactical advantage, not just, uh, you against the AI, but you against another player that is really, really fun. Um, and generates really interesting kind of strategy encounters. That's, I think, what makes me think of this game as something kind of special. Uh, and it is just uh, this, you, you, it's the combination of, of uh, you know, kind of the pullback from necessarily the primacy of military, uh, but to this, um, you know, uh, this very kind of knife edge that you're always on where, uh, you know, you've got to be considering not just what's definitely going to happen, like winter, like these, uh, like these events, but also, you know, um, you know the kinds of arbitrary and cruel things that can happen just because of the fact that there's other people on the map. Um, so it just uh, it it creates these situations that are so uh, rewardingly stressful. I find. I mean, you you can go into a spiral relatively quickly because your army is so small. If your army gets wiped out, it can take a while to build that up again. Uh, mm. But. On the counter, your enemy's army is also, if it's an AI player, is also quite small. So it just takes a, a little bit of luck. Maybe they run into some trouble. Maybe you built their, your defensive tower 
in the right place. There aren't any walls, but you can build defensive towers. Um, but they take up a bit. They, they don't take up a building slot, I believe. I think they do. Do they? I'm not quite. I, I, I thought they didn't. Uh, I think Tres. Right. I, th- I could be wrong. I, I, I think that they're they, that they're the exception. Uh, are one of the exceptions. I'll have to double check on that. But anyway, you can't. But they, they do take wood to build. Um, so you don't want to spend wood building a defensive tower in every single uh, section because it's, it's it's expensive. Um, and I'm not sure how effective they are, but they are pretty good against wolves. Um, might not be good against. Uh, no, they're wicked effective. Okay, well there we go. Uh, so there, that's certainly something you you can do uh, to protect yourself. Um, so you can recover from, you know, a, 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 a bad military setback. There isn't necessarily a snowball effect like you would get in, like if your army gets wiped out in, say, um, you know, Age of Mythology or Warcraft, you just can just sit generally unless you've got some good defenses and watch everything burn down around you. Um your end will just sit there and wait for your small army to come out and chop you to ribbons bit by bit uh, and go to town your economy. Here, the economy is, everybody's economy is so close to the edge of disaster because uh, it does take just a few setbacks for, even if you your army can recover, it's harder for your economy to recover, uh, which I think is what makes this, there is a lot of gambling in this game. It's when do you make your push? Um, I like the idea. I mean, Rob's right that you know you have to you have to sit and stop and think and you know where your approach is going to be. It's often better to to wait a bit before you make before you commit too much in one direction. But eventually, you do have to commit either to a victory condition or to going on the attack. So there is this gamble, and it's a beautiful, glorious feeling. Uh, it, it brings me a lot of joy when an attack actually pulls works uh when i've taken my army of five dudes uh and they've been maybe one shield maiden because you know you gotta have a little bit of gotta have something for the ladies and you go and you just burn everything uh down around you and it's just great when that works uh but you always know that it could go wrong at any moment the gambling is just so nice uh there's this is a game about about scarcity and about risk um yeah um, once you get enough stone, the upgrades keep the happiness up, and that's all right. But you have to get there. Um, this isn't like Banished, where if you figure out the economy of your island in Banished, it's not that hard to, you know, pl- plunge forward um, and, you know, get everything balanced out just fine. There are enough, there's enough randomness in Northgard. Like, uh, you, I had an earthquake happen on my island, and a lot of buildings started catching fire. And all of a sudden, I spend like 200 wood getting all that stuff fixed and sending villagers all around my kingdom to get those things working again. Because that meant if the hunter's, if the hunter's lodge is on fire, he can't hunt. So you got to take care of that. Um, there's just enough randomness to make it all so wonderful um, on top of this really tight, interlocked economic system. And I really like speaking of the earth, the earthquake. I think there are like very small design decisions that are made that that really make that fulfilling. So when an earthquake happens, in particular, uh, you know, two, three, four, something like that, depending on how big your village is, um, 
two, three, four buildings will catch on fire. And you get a little tooltip that says, hey, you've got some buildings on fire. But you cannot click on that tooltip to cycle through them. Like, you have to manually scroll through your your whole village to find out which buildings are on fire. And I really like that. Uh, I was playing a multiplayer game the other day when the earthquake happened, and someone who I had a border conflict with, and we'd been fighting back and forth, had the earthquake, you know, we all had the earthquake happen, and he did not repair one of his buildings. So it was getting very, very low, and I knew he wasn't paying attention to that side of his uh little empire he was doing something else on another border i couldn't see because it was in the fog of war and so i used that as a signal to like uh, attack that side because i knew he didn't have villagers or troops or anything like that over there he couldn't be looking at it because if he was looking at it he would have taken care of the the fire so like it's amazing to me that that little thing spirals out into like a really fulfilling gameplay experience. Uh, I am curious um, if anyone experimented with this because I was trying, because I had a theory about how, like a way this might work, but I'm curious if it would work in practice. There seems to be an element of, there's a lot to be said for leaving Vikings wounded rather than killing them outright. Uh, If so, if your villagers are sick or if they're wounded, uh, there is a drag on happiness uh, that happens across, like, basically your little happiness number goes down. And if you, like, if a bunch of your Vikings are badly wounded because uh, you didn't protect them from a raid effectively or whatever, uh, you've got a pretty bad uh, negative number on your happiness value. And that's not going to go away until your healers go through and get everyone healed. But chances are you don't have that many healers because, like, you don't really need them until you really need them, right? Like, I mean, it's that's, yeah. that's kind of the nature of the beast is, is like, for the most part, your healer is, you know, one, uh, one doctor just hanging out outside their hut uh, waiting for patients that never show up because everything's cool. And then suddenly there's a big fight or a raid and... There's a ton of people hurt, and now there's not enough healers. Uh, and you're not going to build a hut to deal with it. So at most, you've got like maybe two healers or three going out and slowly bringing everyone back up to uh, to full health. I'm very curious because a lot of things in this game sort of – the game actually sort of pushes against like the decisive combat in many ways. Like if you can run in and raid and hit villagers without – even fighting enemy soldiers that's actually really good that's an effective way to sort of do uh you know what what a what a fighting game we call like chip damage uh before before you start setting up for the for the kill but i was also kind of wondering is this sort of like this i guess this is my galaxy brain idea do you actually want to micro these fights to the point where you're not actually killing the villagers you're roughing up you're just like badly maiming them uh, and causing their production to crater globally rather than inflict a casualty that will quickly, because death doesn't affect happiness. And if happiness is good, then your population bounces back pretty quickly. So I'm kind of wondering, I'm trying to figure out if this would work. Uh, I think it, it would have to, right? Because you're also like, if you kill somebody outright, then you're, it's bad because I mean that that hits the economy, but they're also uh, that's at least you know one less mouth to feed. And there's no happiness um, penalty. People, and there's no the Vikings penalty, are right. sturdy so. people. There's no they don't care if uh, <laughs> if their population has been decimated because uh, there's nobody wounded. Yeah, 
So if you just have a bunch of, yeah, people with grievous wounds laying around, then that's much worse than having a smaller and unhurt population. Cam, is yeah, this, is this track for you? Yeah, that seems like it would work. If you cannot... I mean, it's part of a whole, I think, set of decisions that that have been made in this game to drag conflicts out and to recognize that conflicts actually take a long time, that decisive victories are hard to come by. So, for example, if you take a enemy square in their territory or, or a tile, I guess, if you take it in their territory and they have things that are constructed there, there's like this little timer that starts ticking down, right? And it's basically like an influence timer. And if they don't have any units that appear in that that tile or, you know, that are sent to that tile before it ticks all the way down, then it becomes a neutral uh, uh, tile and then you can take it over. And when it becomes a neutral tile, then you are raising the buildings that are on it. But you cannot directly attack buildings. You can only let them slowly burn down. Mm-hmm. That takes a mm-hmm. long, long time. So mm-hmm. it's so the conflicts in general, right, are are built around taking the best tactical advantage that you can at any given time because they can always come back with their army and take that tile and repair those buildings when they take it back, right? There's something to that. Um, so, but but uh, as you're saying with like leaving people wounded, there's something going on there. Uh, like those are both of those design decisions are pulling on the same thing, which is that a conflict takes a long time. It might be better just to wound all the woodcutters um, and kill the troops and then, you know, wound half of the villagers that show up in the tile because, you know, you can't take the two tiles into their base for a very long time because you got to wait for things to raise. You got to colonize all that stuff. Um, yeah, it's it's pun like. All of that kind of invasion mechanic is very punishing, and I think that that's the only way to properly manage that is the system you're describing of like wounding people and tactically going backward. It's interesting too because and I think we've alluded to this, but everybody continues to take up space. All your villagers, even if you've given them a job as a woodcutter or a fisherman or a, a, a brewmaster. They'll all continue to be in that tile and uh, will fight back. So, but you know, when you do go in and start massacring people, you know, you're taking, uh, you know, individuals who have these jobs that they've been assigned, and um, uh, they'll fight back. But you, yeah, the people who you wind up killing are they actually have a job in that tile? Usually, I think that's interesting too. It reminds me, like in a lot of ways, this actually works really well as like a game about ancient warfare maybe a little bit like uh so something you see a lot in um like the hegemony games uh for instance if if you play those we talked about them a few times on the on the show uh which i i still think maybe the best one is uh the hegemony um uh, the one set in classical greece um God, try, hegemony gold right that was the yeah. one that combined the uh macedon expansion with the, and the uh the, and the peloponnesian war yeah. yeah and that game had this good rhythm of like it was hard to get your economy past like a very bare subsistence and there was a lot of like you know you come you chase off enemy soldiers but you didn't really have enough of a lead to go take the city so instead you'd burn all the farms and cut their their economy down and make it harder for them to replenish the soldiers. Cause like the city was starving. So they weren't going to generate the population for the next draft class basically. 
And then you withdrew before your army could starve. Uh, and the next season, you would do it all again, right? And slowly, you know, each each season, they would have less to sort of answer the bell, right? And you slowly sort of uh, eroded them as, you know, the ocean does a rock, right? That was kind of how some some of these, mm-hmm. these campaigns unfolded. And historically, that's kind of what you see, right? Like a lot of ancient wars uh, take place over kind of, a surprising length of time uh, with surprisingly ineffective campaign results. Uh, This game sort of actually gets at that too, where like you don't have modern militaries. You're never going to be able to field like if somebody comes at you with like a half dozen combat units, that's basically it. They're all in. There is, there's nothing else behind that. That's, that's the entire army. Uh, And that's not going to win the war in one stroke. Uh, But what it can do is, slowly inflict like wounds on the economy on the overall health of the village that will tip the balance in your favor uh across in a in a variety of dimensions uh but won't necessarily allow you to instantly play that zero sum like because i killed you here i instantly gain x and these minerals and whatever you do, that's not how this game really works and i i really admire that yeah i think that's accurate i mean you're Again, you're playing a game where you're on such an economic knife edge all the time that, uh, you know, it's it can just take a little shove over the edge uh, to either have that happen to you and kind of snowball into, uh, you know, kind of a uh, a drain circling uh, uh, process or, you know, conversely, uh, to get your enemy just sick enough that they uh, that they can't quite pull it back together in time. Yeah, I really like how the different um, win conditions kind of work to that regard. So uh, we, we've talked about it. So there's like the, the the straight conquest victory where you eliminate the other people. And then there's the lore victory. And then there's fame. And then the map specific one. There might be another one. Is there another one? Uh, what do we? Yeah, I think you got all of them. Um, the trade victory. Yeah, the trade victory, which I have not yeah. even tried to, to play with. That one's rough. Yet. Yeah. But but what I really like about the other two and how they like interact with the uh, conquest victory is that if you all just hang out in your own little zone and do your thing and never deal with the other faction, it's just a straight race for fame or uh, mm-hmm. lore, right? Like you can just devote all of your time and resources to doing that. Um, but if someone is doing that, you know that they're not investing a huge amount of stone or they're not investing a huge amount of iron into their uh military they're investing it into buildings and so you can kind of like keep track of those things in the upper left hand corner where all of that's being tracked and i really like how they they imply or they give you information about where to apply pressure at any given time and so like when i was playing a game recently where i i did do the all-in and i went for the one remaining ai uh who was there and the reason i had to go all in is they were going to win the lore victory just straight up and so I had to like do this kind of complex push from two different angles with like eight troops trying to make that work. And it, it failed ultimately. Uh, like you were saying earlier, Rob, the defensive towers are very, very, very strong. Uh, Especially if you upgrade them. Yeah, they're maybe yeah. a little bit too strong even. Um, that's, I think, my one major complaint about the game uh, is those structures. But like the the way that those different systems push on each other and imply openings and imply strengths and weaknesses even when the what the other groups are doing are completely opaque right it's in the fog of war uh, for the most part um 
it is really good. And also like that you have to upgrade. This is like kind of fiddly uh, uh, information. But in order to see inside the fog of war of another uh, Viking group, you have to upgrade your scout shack, which means like that's that's coming fairly later in the game. You've got stone, you've got kroners, you've got all kinds of things like that. So it actually prevents you from doing early rushes or things like that. Um, and yeah, I, there's no cheese. You can't cheese anybody in this at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I really like that. I think that's a really kind of clever way of preventing that from occurring. So, um, I'm kind of curious. Like, so you're playing the skirmishes. The game's sort of implying that like there's kind of a tit for tat dynamic happening. Like the AIs will sort of go for victory conditions, but um. The implication is like if you keep targeting somebody, like your relationship goes down with them, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, your relationship yeah. will sour. Yeah. So I'm curious. Like this is where, because I, I haven't played this multiplayer, and I'm trying to imagine like how different this game must be. Because like in multiplayer, there's there's no relationship bonuses or anything like that, right? Like it's entirely just people making their own decisions out of self-interest and like who they're perceiving to be threats. Yes. Which is also so, so yeah, yes, you're completely correct. The game also really encourages you to play uh, games of like two V two or two V two V two up to a maximum of six. They're like within the multiplayer arrangement, there's a pretty strong uh, team based dynamic that's, that's designed into that, which I think is, I, they, they are, uh, they figured that out of what you're saying of like the free for all being kind of a clunky thing. Okay. And within the team framework, like uh, is there resource sharing or you trade with each other, share resources or I don't know. I have, yeah. I have not played any of that. Yeah. I've only okay. played free for all games because I'm uh, I'm the king of strategy games, uh, Rob. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, don't, you don't need uh, no allies. They'll just slow you down. Yeah, exactly. Um, eight player uh, free for all Starcraft two. Wings of Liberty. That's the the best game format ever invented. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's what the pros use. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah. the the game in its purest form. Um, yeah. Pol- you know, Polt, well known for playing that way. Yeah, it's the national sport of uh, South Korea, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because this is the, this is the other part that's interesting to me is like so if you play the campaign to get ready and the campaign the campaign is fine the campaign is whatever it's uh, it's cute. Uh, it's a pretty conventional story, and the missions do a good job of introing you to various game concepts. But holy shit, did I not realize uh, how much the campaign missions are helping you get on your feet uh, by giving you a hero unit? Um, oh yeah, and mm-hmm. so you're like the huge leg up. <laughs> yeah, and like so you, in the campaign, you're like, okay, so yeah, I have to watch the food and all that stuff, and but I I can expand out and get moving fine, and it's not that, it's not as dicey and dangerous. You make the jump from the campaign to skirmish, and it's like, holy shit, I can't get out of my base. Like now, expanding into a tile that like has wolves on it is like, oh, <laughs> careful, careful boys, there there be wolves on that tile. And there's like there's an entire campaign to sort of go and take a farm field, uh, for instance. And I'm just trying to imagine like the jump. At least that has like an AI system that you can at least somewhat interact with and influence. Uh, and I'm trying to imagine like how chaotic and terrifying it must be in in free for all multiplayer. Because like, what if people just decide to come at you? That doesn't really happen in the skirmish. Uh, but 
it seems like it would happen all the time in multiplayer. Uh, the last multiplayer game I played, I got stuck in a cove. I was in like a really great like kind of bay, uh, but it went up a mountain rise, and there was one tile at the top that the person beside me took, so it locked me into the same place for the rest of the game. I had like the oh, worst no. possible spawn. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was terrible, but very instructive um, because like for even like what you're describing, Rob, of like there's three tiles that are beside my opening tile. One has wolves on it. I guess I'm not going to that tile for a long time, for like a full year of in-game time, right? Um, having someone block off uh, your ability to expand very early in the game is uh, brutal, like hugely brutal. But it also like, I think the game has enough variability at the beginning where I could build, say, two marketplaces and build up a bunch of kroners and then invade that tile with some early military units. And I say early it's like year three in the game, right? That does still mm -hmm. take a long time. But I didn't feel like even that, which I think is one of the worst case scenarios of what could happen in a game like this, especially because it's so difficult to take a tile, it didn't feel insurmountable. It, it hurt me significantly. But, uh, I mean, we were able to play a full game. So it, it's a little bit give or take. And you are protected. I mean, just from the outset, from, you know, early scouts or, you know, you can't, you can literally not move military units into... um into uh areas you haven't explored so um there's a little bit uh the game does put some breaks on that too so and it's scary for everybody so um i guess you know at this point like as we've said a few times this is a very simple game it's a very easy game to learn uh the math is all pretty straightforward you can basically you know do most of the math in your head on your hands on a scratch pad whatever but like this is not a game where like there's so many numbers flying around that it eventually black boxes itself. Uh, it's it's pretty easy to parse the design of this, um, and obviously, like we're all we've all put some time into it. We're all pretty big fans. Is anyone feeling like this? Like, is anyone hitting a tipping point? Like, does anyone is anyone starting to feel like they're running into limitations with this game that like are starting to frustrate them? Because I'm not there yet. Like, I'm still. Uh, I'm, like I'm still on the upward slope uh, with this thing, still getting better at playing uh, Northguard, uh, but I'm curious if if anyone's sort of reaching a moment where they wish maybe it wasn't quite so simple, wasn't quite so straightforward. No, I'm I I I, I wish there was. I would like my armor to be a little bit bigger um, because you know I like to have right now it's just like one you have your one fireman squad. And you do have to carry them around to every single emergency, uh, which is a little bit annoying. Um, so having a little bit, a uh, little more flexibility in military style would be nice. But I mean, I haven't tried multiplayer yet. Um, I would like to do that probably sometime soon. I but I can't see myself hitting a point where I think, huh, maybe this isn't all that great. This is really a beautiful, tight, fun design, um, and the art is just. I love the art. It's just so goofy looking. Um, it fits perfectly with, you know, the Vikings are funny type of theme, though it doesn't try to be comedic. This isn't a game that tells a lot of jokes. There aren't a lot of... The units don't say funny things when you click on them. Uh, but it's the, the art makes me feel so happy. I don't know why that is. <laughs> it's kind of funny because I think <clears throat> through no fault of its own, the art is... Maybe what kept me from uh, checking the game out earlier, uh, only because it just seems like we've got more than enough Viking games going around right now. 
Um, but now that I'm into the game, I actually I really appreciate the uh, the look and feel a lot. I do think um, I think you're right, Troy. Like it would be nice to have a bit more uh, of a you know the ability to build up beyond six or eight units. But um, on the other hand, I just I do appreciate the elegance and the simplicity of that. But um, as far as longevity, I, I worry a little bit about kind of just figuring out what the best build order is. Um, and it just once you've kind of once that optimization has sort of been reached or, or discovered, um, that kind of pulls a little bit of the fun out for me. But right now, I I'm I'm having a blast with it. So. And the map variability makes it really tough to like feel locked into an optimal build order uh which absolutely which does help um yeah yeah i think i i mean all of my complaints or or issues with the game are almost like feel too micromanagey to some degree like i think that the axe throwers should just be more powerful straight up i think that the shield bearers should uh have more hit points they, yeah. they seem like they're just as weak as the warriors you know what i mean like these are my yeah. criticisms to some degree or like very they feel like they uh are inappropriate for what the game is trying to do on kind of a macro level. Um, I mean, I would love for this game to do something. Well, I, I guess I'm of two minds, right? On one hand, I want it to never change and it to be a kind of board gamey experience that I can play a multiplayer game or play a few skirmishes every couple months. I mean, I love, we haven't said this uh, yet, I don't think, but I love the fact that you can play a full fulfilling game of this in an hour and a half. Like, uh, that yes. that is yeah. very important to me and you can play a multiplayer game because it's in real time you know there's no pausing or anything like that you can play a really like robust and good fun multiplayer game in an hour and a half and that is rad like that is something you can't i mean short of playing starcraft or something like that but even other rts's it's hard to to hit that kind of of area especially with the amount of strategy that this game affords you so i really really um enjoy that kind of thing so so i'm of that mind like just keep it let it be its own thing i could also see this taking a root of something like armello where they give you regular kind of content updates with new viking groups with new clans uh that have different units and they're all balanced against each other that would be really cool that would make a lot of sense it's you know something like a 25 30 game I, I i got it on the early access sale so i don't exactly remember but it's well within the realm of uh, being able to charge, you know, five bucks, 10 bucks, seven bucks for a content pack in six months that makes it more robust that people like blah, 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 all that games of service stuff. Um, so I, and I would be happy with either of those things, right? I, that's kind of like the beauty of the game, I think, is it could support either of those. And I think that there's enough complexity in the model so far that even adding additional mechanics or whatever wouldn't break the thing. Uh, it would feel like an expansion pack to a board game which is cool. Yeah. Um, I think that the board game, uh, it's interesting to me that this feels like the most successful uh, sort of board game on PC, uh, like one of the most successful board games on PC I've ever played, and it's like not aping a board game uh, in, very much. It's, it's really sort of more of a paired back uh, RTS or, or management sim. Uh, it's an interesting thing uh, because, like the 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 reasons I love it, the the things that I've really gotten into, it's all pushing the buttons. I that you know, it's 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 all sort of uh, hitting those sweet spots that like a really great board game that I can break out with friends, uh, you know, also ser services, and this is doing it really by leaning heavily on 
uh, some pretty old like PC uh, traditions. I really, really like it. And I am sort of surprised at how completely off guard uh, this uh, off guard North guard caught me. Um, but uh, it's, it's definitely one of the most pleasant surprises of the year so far. So, yeah, I think that, uh, I think that will do it. Uh, so we're all comfortable saying that basically Northgard owns. Yeah. Pe- Absolutely. People should definitely yeah. be buying this. Yeah. All right. Uh, that will do it for this week. We'll be back, we'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. Uh, Three Moves Ahead is produced, as always, by Michael Hermes and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Uh, since there are three of us on this podcast right now, I should also shout out the fact that you can read uh, articles from me, Cam, and Ian uh, on waypoint.vice.com. Uh, this week we've been doing a lot of stuff around uh, depictions of firearms in video games and sort of the places that gun culture and video game culture uh, are interrelated. Uh, and people have been doing a lot of uh, great work uh, around that over on the site this week uh, and every week uh, over on the site. So, uh, yeah, go check us out, guys. Uh, it's unusual that a bunch of uh, waypointers are on Thrives Ahead, but uh, that's the way the cookie crumbled this week. Uh, finally, Thrives Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Ian, Cam, and Troy, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight. <laughs>